0: All right. Good morning, Mercy Hill Church. It's great to be back with you. I know we were back last Sunday, but some of you guys have been out, and we want to welcome you back. It's great to have uh, many of you back with us. I noticed Ben and Jessica right up front, and they just left, but uh, be gentle with Ben. Uh, Maybe lay off on the hugs. He broke his collarbone snowboarding last week, and so uh, we want to serve them well, and uh, yeah, so be gentle and maybe offer to to help them out however we can. Um, If you would take a Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. While you're turning there, some quick introduction. Make it a priority. Next Sunday, you're going to want to be here. Our friend Chuck Geschwin uh, from Little Rock, he's an attorney and a pastor there. He's served the Soma Network of Churches, which we are a part of. He's going to be here teaching us, and he's going to bring a message in which he describes what life looks like as we move from striving to abiding in Jesus. You don't want to miss it. Chuck's a really encouraging pastor and leader, and he has served uh, our elders well. He's a good friend. So you're, um, we're going to be excited to have him here. And also, remember our elders and uh, wives, we are going to be traveling um, Thursday night, Friday, and Saturday on a retreat. And we're going to be looking back at the last year and just uh, asking that the Lord would be gracious to us to give us wisdom for the next coming year. And as we look forward to maybe a few years ahead and begin to dream. And so we would just, we would really covet your prayers. If you'd pray for us, we'll be back for Sunday morning. But uh, you're you're not going to want to miss that this coming Sunday. And then last week, if you will remember, it was New Year's. And we looked at the fact that as followers of Christ, that we are called not to just set New Year's resolutions and just to kind of think about change on an annual basis, but the gospel enables us to change on a daily basis. And uh, you're encouraged. We looked at the scriptures and encourage you to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly. I hope that you've made time this week to spend with the Lord and that His Word is really um, become rich in your hearts as you spend time with him. This week, uh, I want us to look a little bit, again, at leadership, but a little bit more corporately. And this is a little bit of a state of the church address, but not not exactly. I think you're going to find it really practical in your life, but then we're also going to look at some things that as a family, as a church family, some areas that we need to move in. So uh, look, Exodus 18 In talking about leadership, it's really interesting to hear some of the phrases that we hear from the world. As you think about leadership and what it looks like to move forward in your life personally or maybe in a business setting, we hear phrases all the time like you determine your own destiny or you are the ruler of your life, so take hold of it. If you really begin to examine some of the phrases that we hear, it's almost as if when it comes to leadership, as if we think of ourselves as little gods in which we can control our own destiny. And these are messages that we receive from culture and society, and they surround us on a daily basis. Now, as followers of Jesus, we hear them and we think, that sounds so foolish. We know we don't control our own destiny But the truth of the matter is, for most of us, we've structured our lives around similar belief systems that the world holds. I'll prove it to you. In one simple phrase, I can describe the way in which the world thinks about life and leadership. It's this one simple phrase. You can have it all. The world says that when it comes to business and your personal life and your goals and your dreams and what you aspire to, that you can have it all, especially for Americans. Our country's built on a belief that we can move forward and that if we have enough grit and grind, that we can do whatever it takes, that we can have it all. But here's the truth, the very laws of science that we all ascribe to tell us that That simply is not the case. We can't have it all, mainly because we have a limited and finite amount of resources and money, and most importantly, time. And the last time I checked, no one was selling time. Like, you can't make more time. Everybody has the same 24 hours in a day, the same amount of minutes. Today, I want to look at two stories, one old school, one new school. Okay. One from the Old Testament, one from the New. And in these stories, we're going to see leaders who are faced with massive amounts of responsibility. And whenever you see lots of responsibility, you always see lots of problems. Okay, those two things always go hand in hand. And in this text, we're going to see a principle that I believe is crucial. Listen, it's not critical. I believe it's crucial for followers of Jesus if we're going to enjoy life with Jesus and if as a corporate as a family of believers if we're gonna make a difference in this world if we're gonna see the kingdom of God move forward we need to know this principle because how many of us want to make a difference everybody we all want to make a difference like we want our lives to matter without knowing this principle I don't think our lives will matter and here it is it's a simple phrase I'm gonna go ahead and tell it to you and then I'm gonna illustrate it from two passages The simple phrase is this, less is more. Less is more. Maximum impact comes not by doing more, but by doing less with greater intentionality. Let me say that again. Maximum impact comes not by doing more, but by doing less with greater intentionality. You may have heard that phrase before, yeah, I know that more is less. Less is more. I'm sorry, less is more. I've heard that in many different, you know, environments. But the truth is that's really rooted, we see, in Scripture. And my hope today is that you will see that God has created each and every one of us for a distinct purpose. That God wants to use us to make a difference in this world. That God wants us to believe that. And some of us, I think, we're just living life. We're just going through the motions, day after day. And we don't have a real confidence that God wants to use us. And if we do have some sense that He wants to use us, we have no idea how to approach life in a way that we would know what His desires are, what, how He wants us to be involved. I believe this principle is key in helping us function both personally and as a church family. Less is more. Look with me in Exodus chapter 18 Today, I'm expectant that God's going to speak, and my hope is that many of you will walk away today and you will begin today living, maybe for the first time, with gospel intentionality, that you'll begin to trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you'll begin to eliminate some of the hurry and some of the busyness in order to do less with greater intentionality and have more impact for the kingdom of God. Exodus 18. This is a a great story. Um, How many of you guys like Moses? You like the story of Moses? Anybody? Children of Israel. They're freed from Egypt. It's an awesome story. We learned it as kids. Um, A little backdrop on this story. It's fascinating. Many times we forget Moses was a very reluctant leader. Moses wasn't somebody who was hungry for power. He's a very reluctant leader. Reluctant leaders sometimes make the best leaders. Because they're they're somebody that God calls in. They're not hungry for power. They're not doing it for the title. And Moses was a very reluctant leader. And if you'll remember, he frees the children of Israel from Egypt, a people who had been in slavery for 400 years. Keep that in mind. That's the backdrop of this passage, really important. And this is all on the backside of the Red Sea. So Pharaoh's army's been, um, they've drowned in the sea. And then the children of Israel have wandered for a little while. and They've gotten really thirsty and really hungry. And they kind of have this kind of bipolar relationship with Moses. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. So we pick up in Exodus 18. And sometimes we're scared to read. I don't want to be scared to read. These stories are are great. So I'm just going to read. It's going to take me about four minutes to read through this chapter. I'm going to read 27 verses. You can stick with me. You ready? Exodus 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses... I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times, Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of 50s and of 10s and they judged the people at all times any hard case they brought to Moses but any small matter they decided themselves then Moses left his father and let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country Moses shared the same struggle that any new parents share Moses felt that no one could care for his new baby quite like he could. You know what I'm talking about, parents? You, you, you. So our son Riley, no one could rock Riley like we could. No one could feed Riley like we could. No one could care for Riley like we could because we knew Riley, and he was, it was as if he was some unique baby that had never been born before. And that's the experience of every new mom. The truth of the matter is just hand your baby to some grandmother who has like tons of experience and they could probably teach you a few things. But but new parents don't think that. And Moses didn't just have a newborn baby. He had a newborn nation and he had a group of people who they were a little bipolar at best. I mean, Moses was like the original Rodney Dangerfield. Can't get no respect because Moses, in like one moment, he would be celebrated. Oh, the water, we can't drink it. It's bitter. And God instructs him, throw a log in the water. and the water, oh, it's sweet. Now we can we can drink it. Or we're so hungry, we should just go back to Egypt. We're ready to stone you, Moses. And then God brings manna from heaven. And they say, what is it? It's manna. It's bread. You eat it. And there's this back and forth kind of bipolar relationship in which they want to kill Moses at one moment, and then they want to celebrate him almost as a God in another. And imagine trying to establish leadership amongst a group of people like that. Imagine trying to establish leadership amongst a group of people who for 400 years have lived in slavery. Can you imagine the conversations that would have gone on? It probably would be like little kids, you know, back and forth. Like, who died and made you king? You know, who said we're going to live this way? We've always done it this way. And Moses is trying to simply set up a new nation. It's funny, if you look at the Ten Commandments, we think of them as like, oh, the Ten Commandments, who can keep the Ten Commandments? They're so basic. They're the basic building blocks of a nation. I heard it said like this one time. It's basic stuff like, hey, When a guy comes home from work, can his wife still be his wife? Like, that's one of the Ten Commandments. They're not outrageous and out there. It's just a nation trying to be established and a foundation set. And Moses is struggling with this. Moses would have been a good American. Because how does Moses deal with this new nation Look at what the scripture says. It says that he worked hard from morning till evening. He listened to their court cases. He listened to their disagreements. He listened to the problems of all of Israel. and He tried to solve them on his own. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like any of your lives? As we look at this passage of scripture, I just want to ask the question, where does this kind of leadership come from? What is it about us instinctively yet unrealistically as a people that we say to ourselves, whether it's out loud or whether it's subconscious, I can do it all. Have you ever said that before? Have you ever thought that? Do you ever live that way? If I just work hard enough, if I put in the hours, if I hang in there long enough? You know, I'm not just talking about our physical labor and our work. This even applies to our spiritual life and our souls. Some of us have this kind of mentality when it comes to our sin. But free of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. and, If I just work hard enough, I can defeat this anger. If I just work hard enough, I can defeat this jealousy. If I just work hard enough and I'm just disciplined enough, I, I can put to death this lust that just seems to remain in my heart. There's this instinctive reality within us as people that we default to working hard and trying to work out our own salvation, no matter what area of life it's in. What is it about us that 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 begins to just kind of rise up from within us? I, I think if we look deeper within the story, we'll see that it's simply the evil sin of pride. And we see it far before Adam and Eve. If you you think back in the story, the first sin to break into our universe before Adam and Eve, Lucifer was an angel. His name meant bright morning star. And his words were this, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will be like God. And, And for each of us, we're born with that evil desire to control you see it within even the sweetest of little little babies as they begin to grow into toddlers. What is that phrase that you hear from every toddler? No, mommy, I do it. Now, it's healthy for toddlers to want to grow up and want to become independent. That's part of the, the process of moving into maturity. But there's something within that phrase. No, mommy, I do it that's deeply rooted within our hearts in which we say, no, I want to be independent. I want to do it my way. And the truth of the matter is we aren't created in order to be independent. God created us with needs. Think about our lives. Before the fall, there were needs that we had. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve had needs. Why? Why did they have these needs? They had needs in their life in order to remind them that there are people who are dependent. They were dependent upon God. That they breathe. And as they breathe, they were reminded that God grants us every moment of life and that life can be taken away just like that. That they drink and they become thirsty and they're reminded that God is the one who ultimately quenches their thirst that they sleep and they were reminded that we're not in control, that even though we might work hard, that it's ultimately God who sustains the world. Our lives are filled with needs, and it's through these needs that we're reminded of our continual need for God, that we are dependent, that we can't make it on our own. God didn't design us that way. And so I love the wisdom that comes, because I think that a lot of us can benefit in so many different areas of our life if we listen to the wisdom that comes from Jethro. Listen to Moses' father-in-law as he begins to describe, and ultimately it's not wisdom from Jethro, it's wisdom from God. Because one of the neat parts of this story is if you look back at verse 11, you'll see that Jethro is like a brand new believer in God. He tells Moses, I'm pretty much signing up to follow your God now because I've seen what your God, the kind of display he put on when y'all came out of Egypt in like a big parade, you know, when y'all left Egypt, like carrying all their treasures and gold, and they were just piling it on, saying, just leave, take everything we've got. You, God, your God pretty much made a mockery of, of the greatest power that exists, and so I'm going to follow your God now. So he's a brand new believer, and God gives him incredible wisdom. Look at what he says. He says, Moses, you've got to delegate. You can't do it all on your own. Moses, you have to humble yourself and ask for help. Listen, that might sound really simple, but that's a leadership quality and trait that you'll never be a great leader unless you're humble. Unless you're humble in the way that you serve your family and the way that you serve others and and that you're willing to ask for help. Some of the greatest leaders uh, in our nation are those who realize that they don't have to be the smartest person in the company. In fact, they put people who are smarter than them around them. The guy who started Kinko's didn't know how to read. Fascinating story, if you read it. He hired people. He, yeah, draft the letter. um, What do you think we should do? do? He couldn't read. And he started Kinko's, for crying out loud. He had people who were wiser than him and smarter than him. And Jethro's telling Moses, that's what you need to do. But in order to select them, he says, look for qualified leaders. And he goes on to describe what that looks like. He says, able men... People who have talent and experience and leadership ability, but not only just people who are talented, people who fear God, who understand that there's an ultimate authority. Able men who fear God, who are trustworthy. They have integrity. He says they won't take a bribe. And so you find these men, and then look at the results of what takes place when shared leadership is expanded within the nation of Israel. I love these next statements. And in verses 22 and 23, Jethro says, Moses, if you'll change your perspective, if you'll see that you're not the hope, that you're not the ruler, that you're not the king and that God is. And if you'll humble yourself and you'll delegate. Look at what he says in verses 22 and 23. He says, it will be easier and they will bear the burden with you. It will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. You say, what does that even mean for me? It means everything. This principle that less is more, that you need to delegate and you need to quit trying to save the world and simply do what God has called you to do, it, it applies in every part of life. You say, I'm a, I work from home. I've got kids. How does this apply to me? It applies in every way. Take small steps. You say, I don't have anybody to delegate to. Sure you do. You say, I can't delegate laundry. Well, maybe your kids aren't old enough to fold, but they can sort. Get them to start sorting laundry. Like you got to start somewhere, right? Otherwise, your kids are going to be living in the basement when they're twenty-seven. Like you got to get them moving towards maturity. Give them small things that they can do along the way. You say that's ridiculous. My kids. That's how is sorting laundry going to help? That's going to make more of a problem. It's getting them started. You say, "Well, I got a baby. What can I do?" You can teach that baby to hold its bottle. It's a wonderful day when you can prop a blanket up under a baby. You take that little baby's hands, and you, you grab them, and you wrap them around that bottle, and you just hold them there. And you do that every day for a few days. And before you know it, your kid is, is feeding himself. It's a wonderful thing. Some of you smile because you know, oh, my goodness, when, when our kid, when you could prop a bottle up, and they could eat on their own, it was, it was a beautiful thing. Right? Less is more if we will delegate, if we'll humble ourselves and say, we need help. now it goes on. He says, it'll be easier and they will bear the burden with you. But look at verse 23. He says, this is actually going to be healthier for everyone because God will direct you. How does that work? I think that the Lord is saying that God's voice is, is best determined through a plurality of leaders. As they discern the voice of God using multiple gifts and multiple personalities. You see that in the the New Testament. In each New Testament church, there were elders that were recognized and placed over those. You don't see a senior elder. You see elders. You see a plurality of leadership. You see shared leadership. It always makes me nervous. In fact, if you ever join a church in which you hear a leader say, it is my job to hear from God and I tell you what to do, I only have one piece of advice. Turn and run. Because that's called a cult. God speaks through a plurality of leadership. And and he says here that God will direct you. That there are going to be multiple people who are now have skin in the game and who are invested. And they're going to be looking to hear from the Lord and seeking His wisdom. And finally, and most importantly, don't miss this. He says, You will endure. The truth of the matter is, some of you are so tired and so burned out in your career, in family life. For some of you, when it comes to this whole thing called mission, you're just sick of the word mission. Because you're trying to do it all on your own. And God hasn't called us to live like that. And if you delegate and humble yourself and say, I need help and I can't do this on my own. the scripture, He's saying you'll endure that many hands make for easy lifting. It's incredible when you get a group of people around a task. I love the fact that uh, in the welcome, Jared said that their missional community is going to go and, and clean a house. You know, for... Uh, uh, the pins who are buying a new house this, this is awesome because if the i guarantee you, i know what would happen if the pins get over there and start cleaning they're like oh we got all these rooms to clean it's going to take them like eight hours right but you get a group of people over there and like you put somebody in every room and before you know it, it's like 45 minutes they're like we've done everything you asked us to do what do we need to do next it's just many hands make for easy lifting Eugene Peterson, in his book, Elders and Leaders, uh, uses the illustration of geese flying in formation. I have a picture for you. Have you ever seen geese that are flying in formation? Isn't it incredible how God made these animals? Have you ever wondered why they do that? Listen to some of these reasons. I think this is just amazing in the way that it illustrates the effectiveness of teamwork and delegation. As each goose flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the birds that are following By flying in a V formation, the flock adds 71% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. When a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying alone. It quickly moves back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front of him. When the lead bird tires, it rotates back into the formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front of it. The geese flying in formation, I love this, they honk to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. And when a bird gets sick or wounded or shot down, not one, but two geese drop out of formation and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with it until it dies or is able to fly again. And then they launch out with another formation or catch up with the flock. An incredible illustration of the importance of encouragement, teamwork, shared leadership. That's one of the reasons why we refuse to multiply missional communities here at Mercy Hill without shared leadership. It's why we have multiple pastors, a plurality of elders. It's why I never like to see someone serving alone. If I see someone serving alone on Sunday morning, I'll try to send someone to help them because it only, ta- I've discovered in my life, it only takes about five minutes of t- doing a task by yourself, unloading a closet and dragging it, all the kids' equipment down to it, before you're like, oh, I don't have to do this by myself. Nobody else is working as hard as I'm working. But if you get somebody with you, all of a sudden you're talking and you're having fun and you're not even thinking about the task that's in front of. You. Shared leadership is so important. The story of the Bible reminds us that we can't have it all. We can't do it all. We aren't called to. Instead, we are weak at times. We're dependent. We need the help and encouragement of others, especially to see God's kingdom advance, both in our lives personally and in our church family. One final passage I want us to look at and then just going to leave you to meditate and think on these words. Acts 6, 1 through 7. Familiar passage. It illustrates the principle of less is more, better than almost any passage in the Bible. Listen to these words. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, so this is after Pentecost, the church has been born, 3,000 people have been baptized, and things are just blowing and going. And there's a complaint that came up against the Hellenists. Those are the... uh, Jewish-speaking, I'm sorry, the Greek-speaking Jews, and it arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the, the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Not that serving tables was less, but they were called to preach, and they were called to pray, and they were called to lead, and they knew their calling. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And it goes on and it says that they chose these different guides. If you, they uh, sat before the apostles and they prayed, they laid hands on them. If you jump to verse 7, listen to the results. So important. And the Word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Once again, this large community is forming. This large family is forming. And with lots, of, with lots of responsibility always comes lots of problems. And instead of trying to step in, and for the apostles to step in and fix everything and, and do it all, instead they delegate. They delegate leadership to qualified godly men because they knew that maximum impact comes not from doing more, but by doing less, with greater intentionality. Less truly is more. Now, here's, here's what I want us to see. In, in both of these examples, biblical leaders were humble enough to trust the Lord and do the hard and scary work of growing up faithful disciples who would, who would shoulder the ministry along with them in order that they could do less more effectively. And the results were kingdom expansion well, what does this mean for us? I I, I think it is very simple. The church grows when we do less. The church grows when we entrust leadership to others, when we grow leaders up. And it's very difficult. It's hard. Because most of us carry a mentality like, nobody can make that coffee like I make that coffee. I make that coffee so good. Right? Nobody can... Nobody knows how to plug sound stuff in and run audio. They don't run audio. They don't run, oh, man, they don't do as well as I do. Oh, it's so much trouble to train somebody. Do you know how much trouble it is to train somebody? And they're not going to do a good job at it. The truth of the matter is that it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of time and a lot of humility to train someone up and to entrust leadership to them. But as we do, we see the church grow. And we don't see the church grow by simply addition. We'd see the church grow here by multiplication. The principle of less is more can be applied in so many different areas of our life. Personally, professionally, relationally. My guess is, as you've heard this, you've probably already had some aha moments. Like, why am I trying to do everything? I need to ask for help in all these different areas. But for our church family particularly, I just want to get real personal for us a minute. For our church family particularly, I think there's two areas where we need to grow, personally and corporately. i want to end with these final comments. Corporately, we need deacons. We've discovered that over the last few months. We simply need deacons. There's a lot that goes into everything that we do as a church. And you might say, oh, we're just a little small church. Little small churches are a lot of work. Meet me here at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning. I'll introduce you to some of it. It's a lot of work. And one of the things that I've discovered over the last few months is I begin to think that sometimes leaders will attract people who are like them. My wife is a social worker. She loves ministry. I love to serve people. I love ministry. And I think if we look around, we're a crowd and a family of people who, for the most part, love to do ministry. And guess what? That's a really good thing. But what is too much of a good thing? Like if I give you a glass of chocolate milk, how good is that? Man, I love some chocolate milk, especially after a long run. I love some chocolate milk. And if I say drink it, how many of you are going to be like, no, I can't. I don't want that. No, you're going to love it. You're going to love chocolate milk. If I give you a box of Krispy Kreme donuts, you're going to love that first donut. But if I give you a gallon of chocolate milk and I say drink the whole thing, what's too much of a good thing? you're going to explode. Your body will vomit it up. You cannot handle it. I haven't tried it with Krispy Kreme donuts. I think the same would be true if you ate a whole box. <clears throat> Anybody ever done that? You can let me know if it's humanly possible. I know it's not with a gallon of milk. The same is true for us when it comes to serving. That For some of us, we love to serve. We just Our hearts just rise as we think about helping people and opening our doors and we're really honest, we just want to save Midtown and we want to save Memphis and we want to see change take place. But listen, folks, less is more. We are not called to be everyone's savior. His name is Jesus and less is more. And it's a lightweight when we realize I don't have to save you and I can't save you, but I can point you to the one who will save you and his name is Jesus. And I want to spend my days telling you about Him and getting out of the way so that you'll see Him and not me. That is the work that God has called us to. Corporately at Mercy Hill, we need some deacons. We need some folks who will say, we're going to make it a priority that we're not burned out so that when we show up for a gathering or show up for missional communities or or just try to do the financial work that comes with, with being a church family, that we're not grudgingly doing it but that we have energy for it and that we've made it a priority and that we've said you know what we're going to we're going to greet people well on Sunday morning cuz we expect guests to be here because we're reaching out and we want our family to grow we want to be a people of disciples who make disciples and so we're going to greet them well and so we need somebody over hospitality somebody who's over our greeters i'm going to give you a quick list of where we're at We've got a few people who are deacons. We call them volunteer coordinators. Caitlin's over our kids' ministry. Andrew is over music and audio and video. Michael is our treasurer. We need help in greeting. We need help in coffee and snacks. We need help in foyer and kids' setup and breakdown. We need help in theater setup and breakdown and and pulling the trailer. You may say, those are such basic things. No, they're really important things. And we need people some of you may say, well, somebody's already doing that. We need people who aren't signing up in order to do it. We need leaders who see their job as equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so if you're interested in any of these areas, greeters, coffee and snacks, foyer and kids set up, theater set up and breakdown. If you're interested in leading a team who could help us in these areas, please talk to any of the elders. We, we need your help. We need your help. We also need everyone involved. We've recently purchased Planning Center, a software that organizes our volunteers. And our goal is that all of our volunteer coordinators would begin using Planning Center so that we can look across the board and see a calendar and try our best to not overuse people, to not ask them to serve in two or three places on a Sunday morning. To give people a break from time to time so that the task doesn't become too heavy, but we need everyone involved, everyone. The prayer request that I'd like to ask you for is just, uh, we have been searching for an administrative assistant for the last three months or so, and uh, we desperately need administrative help. I was up till two thirty Thursday night just doing financials and administrative work that I need help with. That is a, a personal prayer request that I would ask you for. We need help administratively if we're going to move forward. Otherwise, we as elders aren't going to be able to continue to study the Word and to pray and care as we should. Now, that's corporately, and we're working on some of those things. We're writing job descriptions. We're going to be talking to some of you who are already serving in some of these areas and saying, are you interested in being a volunteer coordinator? Are you interested in growing a team that you would lead and equip them to do the work of ministry? But as we do that, I want us to think most importantly personally. Let I'm me shift your mind for a minute. Personally, what does it look like? What does less is more look like in your life personally? Because I think as a church in 2017, if there's any desire that I have, it would be that we would be a church, we need disciples who are making disciples. You know, I think there's a lot of us who would say, I want to study the Bible more and I want to reach others for Jesus, but I run out of time and I don't know how to do it. And honestly, the problem is that we have way too much going on in our lives and we have way too many choices. It's only once you give yourself permission to stop trying to do everything, to stop saying yes to everyone, that you can begin to make your highest contribution towards the things that really matter. You've heard me show this illustration before, but I love it. Dieter Rams was the lead designer at Braun. And for many years, he is driven by the idea that almost everything is noise. He believes very few things are essential. His job is to filter through that noise until he gets to the essence. I love that. I've taken my cell phone, and I love my cell phone, but I've turned off almost every notification that I can turn off because I have way too much noise in my life. I'm trying to spend less and less time on social media and more and more time reading, being with people, real people. Last week we encouraged you and we said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How's that gone this week? Have you been able to to carve out time in which God's word can dwell in you? When you think about less is more, what is the priority of your life? What's the priority of your life? And when you think about less is more, did you know that it takes 70 hours reading audibly out loud to get through the entire Bible? Seventy hours. A recent article in the New York Times says that the average American watches five hours of TV a day. That's 140 hours a month. It's 35 hours a week. You may say, that's, that's, I don't watch that much TV. Cut it in half. The average American could read through the Bible twice in a month if they merely replaced their time that they watch TV with reading in God's Word. Isn't that amazing? When we begin to think about less is more, what is the priority of your life? What do you live for? What do you wake up every day and say, "This"? if I don't do anything else, this one thing is what I do. Jesus answered it for us. A young man came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This one thing. It's really interesting if you look at our English language. It was in the 1400s that we began to use the word priority. Did you know it was only in the 1900s, early 1900s, that we in the English language spoke of priority in the plural form? We pluralized that word about a hundred years ago and begin to think of priorities. Listen, if less is more, what would it look like in your life? I dream of a congregation. I dream of a family of disciples who are making disciples who see that the priority of their life, yeah, they got to go to work and yeah, they got to get the kids fed and diapers changed and yeah, they got a lot of stuff going on, but that the priority of their life is to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in them richly. And as they seek the Lord through His Word and listen to His voice, that they begin to love Jesus more. I mean, that's a goal for me in 2017. And it's very difficult that I would look at 2017 and that I would say, I love Jesus more in 2017. Like, my my awe for Him... My enjoyment of Jesus is greater than it was in 2016. The only way I know to do that is if I say no to a lot of stuff and if I begin to spend time with Him, to allow His Word to dwell in me richly. Just like I spend time with my wife. Just like we say, let's go on a date together. Let's take time together. And as the Word of Christ dwells in me richly, that I begin to listen to the Spirit. Because listen to this, folks. If the Word of Christ dwells in you richly, it's going to come out. The Holy Spirit is going to direct you in your day. And I dream of a church. I dream of a church family in which we say the priority of our life is that the word of Christ dwells in us richly and that we experience God in word and in deed daily. What I mean by that is that as we get into his word, the Holy Spirit says, and don't forget about this individual. Oh, show them gratitude. Oh, have compassion for them. Oh, be patient with them and that the Holy Spirit is leading us. And that when someone says, how's the Lord leading you? Like what has God spoken to you that daily you could say, God told me to be patient to my son today. God told me to be compassionate toward this coworker. He told me today, and I can't stand that dude. And God said, be compassionate toward him. He doesn't know me. He's far from me. God told me to take him to, to lunch and pay for his lunch, and I did it. That's the kind of church that I dream of that we would have on our lips a daily encounter with Jesus in word and in deed because we have made it the priority of our life. Less is more. You say, man, I don't know. How does the gospel begin to impact us when less is more? Listen, we can slow down and we don't have to be in a hurry because God's already done it all. Jesus accomplished it on the cross. What are we trying to prove? We can slow down our schedules. We can do less. We can humble ourselves. We don't have to be Superman. We don't have to try to do it all. We can ask for help, which I am number one, need to ask more for help. Feel free to say no or yes, as the Spirit leads, as I ask you for help. And as we do that, we can trust in Jesus, the ruler, the king, our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us the gospel and you've given us life. And Jesus, I thank you that you say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light, and we have no idea what that means. But God, as we begin this year, may we be a people who pursue you in all things. May we be a people that as we wake each day, that the priority of our life is to know you and then to follow you. Jesus, may that be our priority. May it become our ethos May it be the rhythm of who we are, in order that your kingdom would not just be added to, but would be multiplied in this city and throughout our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.